All right, everybody, welcome to this Friday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I'm, of course, your host, Logan Blackman, and I am excited, as per usual, to get this show underway. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about. we got some NFL stuff going on as well as, as always, I guess, because this is kind of just turning into a glorified NFL show where we talk 90% about the NFL and the rest is kind of like, well, there's other sports going on, so we might as well talk about that a tiny bit as well. Just got done watching the Blackhawks lose to the Columbus Blue Jackets, 6-5. to That was pretty fun. Blackhawks were up 3-1 and then 4-2 and then lost 6-5, which not very fun. But hey, Patty Kane scored, which is always great. The, America's great. the greatest American hockey player of all time. I was talking to my dad about this earlier. It was people that say... Patrick Kane is not the greatest American hockey player of all time. I don't have time for them. I don't. I just say, Psh, I know you're probably going to say Mike Medano or something like that. Or some crazy people might go Jeremy Roenick. But no, it's Patrick Kane. Obviously, three-time Stanley Cup winner. Fastest American, at least. I don't know about player ever to reach 1,000 career points. Patrick Kane's there. He's 31, 32 years old right now. Doesn't look like he's slowing down that much right now. So he'll pass Mike Medano. He's uh, just under 300 points away or something like that from Mike Medano. He'll get it. Easily. And I hope and pray to God that he finishes finishes his career with the Chicago Blackhawks. I don't know if I could mentally take Patrick Kane playing on another franchise. If I did, if I did, the only franchise I would ever accept Patrick Kane playing for other than the Chicago Blackhawks would be... The Buffalo Sabres, as that's my dad's team, that's where he's from. I think that would fit nicely with Patrick Kane and where he ends up. But if he doesn't, I want him to stay a Blackhawk forever. I want to stay, I want Duncan Keith to stay a Blackhawk forever. I want Jonathan Taze to stay a Blackhawk forever. As we talked about when we did the NHL preview, Jonathan Taze is out for the season. Brent Seabrook's out for the season as well. At least I, I guess I shouldn't say Brent Seabrook's out for the season. I'm not 100% sure on that. I'm pretty confident it was. Speaking of Brent Seabrook, he was obviously the A, one of the A's, Duncan Keith being the other one, Jonathan Taves being the C for the Blackhawks, and Alex DeBrinkit. Pretty cool stuff tonight. Alex DeBrinkit wore the A tonight, as along with Patrick Kane and Duncan Keith, and had one of his better performances in recent times for the Chicago Blackhawks in a losing effort. Lankin in obviously allowed six goals, but it's whatever. Though he allowed six goals, I still firmly believe Lankinen is the best goalie on the Chicago Blackhawks. Malcolm Subban can push him a little bit, but I think Lankinen is still the number one guy in Chicago. He's performed the best. He's been the most consistent. Subban's had some impressive performances recently, so maybe that gap's a little bit closer than what I'm giving it credit for, but I think the Blackhawks will still stick with Lankin and obviously not the next game, obviously allowing six goals against the Blue Jackets. He's probably not going to start the Blackhawks next game, so it'll probably be Malcolm Subban, but you know what? Whatever, Lankin made some impressive saves tonight, even though he allowed six goals, which is obviously not great. As a goalie, you don't want to allow any goals, but six goals, that's it's a, little, it's a, little, it's a little above. That's a little above what you want to be, but hey, Blackhawks still scored five. They tried to do the thing of just score more points, but the Blue Jackets did that better as they scored one more point than their opponent. But yeah, that was disappointing result. We were watching the NASCAR Daytona 500 dual races, 
Eric Almirola won the first one. The second one is delayed, and it's starting up in a little bit. It's 9.45 here on Thursday, February 11th, and we'll wait and see who wins that. Alec Bo- Alex Bowman and William Byron have are on the front row for the Daytona 500, which takes place this Sunday. If I'm making bets on it right now, on who I think will win the Daytona 500, I mean, it's kind of hard not to say Denny Hamlin, isn't it? This would be three in a row. No one else has ever done that before, I believe, in the Daytona 500. This would be hard to pick someone else. Obviously, I'd like to see Chase Elliott win it. I'd be cool with Kyle Busch winning it. I just don't want to see the likes of Joey Logano, Brad Keselowski, and then Denny Hamlin winning it. But Denny Hamlin's recent track record there, pun intended, is something that's very, very, very impressive. Kevin Harvick, I think, has a really good shot at winning here as well. It'd be really cool to see Ryan Newman win it after what happened last year's race. But I think Denny Hamlin is my pick to win the 500. Alex Bowman will be up there, obviously, starting on the pole. He'll obviously be up there a little bit. Had a little problems tonight in the dual races, but I don't think that will affect him on Sunday. At least I would hope it wouldn't affect him. And if it does, if it is an engine problem, he'll have to swap with the car and he'll have to start at the rear of the field, which is not what... Alex Bowman and Rick Hendrick had in mind going into the Daytona 500. We want to see both Hendrick boys starting on the front row, and I'm excited to see Bubba Wallace's new car, the 2311 team, with Michael Jordan and Denny Hamlin. One of the weirdest relationships in sports is Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan. I think the only one that's weirder than that is Skip Bayless and Lil Wayne. That is like, those are the two weirdest relationships. I don't know how they ever became friends, more so with Lil Wayne and Skip Bayless. That one makes zero sense. I get Denny and Michael, like Michael sponsored Denny's NASCAR suit. He's a sponsor for Denny Hamlin. Uh, they, they're they really good at what they do, mainly Michael Jordan, the basketball player. Not necessarily the executive and owner, but the player Michael Jordan was, he was pretty good. He was pretty good. Denny Hamlin's obviously really good at what he does too, driving NASCARs. Now they're owning a team together with Bubba Wallace driving the 23 car. So that'll be fun. See how Bubba Wallace kicks off with his new team. Had mixed success with Richard Petty Motorsports, but I think this new team will help propel him a little more. Uh, What else? Jimmy Johnson's retired, which is sad. We knew this going into last season, but now it's official. He's going to be racing IndyCar on Target Chip Ganassi, or just Chip Ganassi. I guess Target Chip Ganassi's not a thing anymore. It's just Chip Ganassi. And that'll be weird to see what Jimmy Johnson does. You have the GOAT of NASCAR going with arguably the GOAT of IndyCar and Scott Dixon being on the same team. Felix Rosenquist will be there as well. But that's going to be weird. So Alex Bowman's taking the 48 car. And Kyle Larson, remember him with all the drama he had with dropping the hard R N-word live on stream, which is not something you should ever do, let alone live and broadcast to... Thousands and thousands of people. So there's going to be a lot of eyes watching Kyle Larson this year. But I hope for his sake he does well. But there's going to be a lot of people watching him. (laughs) There's going to be a lot of people watching Kyle Larson this year. Maybe not for the right reasons. I'm going to say maybe. Not for the right reasons. (laughs) They're going to be seeing if he slips up again. Because that's... I don't really know if you want to call that a slip up. Instead of just being really stupid. But whatever. It's in the past, but it's still not anything you should ever do, ever. (laughs) I don't know why he did it. It was one of the weirdest, worst things I've seen on a stream. 
for a, a professional athlete, and I will call NASCAR drivers athletes. I know that's a hot-button topic with a lot of people out there that don't consider NASCAR drivers athletes, but I'll do it for this. But yeah, there's a lot of, this should be a fun season. They're turning Bristol into a dirt track, which I'm mixed about. I'm excited to see the NASCAR drivers on dirt, but I don't really know if I wanted it to be Bristol. I like watching the Bristol race, the best shorts track in NASCAR, and I don't know if I wanted to see it covered in dirt. That's, I don't know, but it'll be cool. It will be cool to see a dirt track racing the cars fly around there, and how many accidents will we be expecting at Bristol Motor Speedway? There's, there's accidents already, there's enough accidents already at Bristol. I don't know what we're going to do with dirt track racing, but hey, it'll be fun. This will be a very fun NASCAR season. Chase Elliott, obviously the reigning champion, made my dad very happy. And yeah, does Chase repeat? Does Denny Hamlin, Brad Keselowski, Joey Logano, Kyle Busch push him for his throne? Or do we see someone like Alex Bowman, who usually finishes in the top 10, somewhere around the championship mark? Do we see someone like Kevin Harvick, who him and Denny were really going at it at the start of the year, and it looked like those were the two that were going to compete for the championship, and both kind of fell off towards the end, and Chase just kept on doing his thing. Will Bl- Ryan Blaney, will he be running for the title? We'll have to see. Glad to see. But as their promotions that they keep shoving down everybody's throats, every single commercial break on Fox Sports, Every single one. I'm not even being sarcastic or, or being or exaggerating. I'm pretty confident it's every single commercial break we see all the NASCAR stuff for their new season, which the Daytona 500 is on Sunday. If you've watched Fox Sports one second, you would have seen that commercial. This could be the best season ever. And I do think it will be a very fun season. I'm very excited for this season. I'm also excited... Outside of NASCAR to watch Jimmy Johnson and IndyCar. That'll be very cool to see. Him and Scott Dixon working together on the same team. Obviously, Jimmy Johnson's not just going to this blind. He's practiced this quite a bit. Working with Scott Dixon. Again, arguably the GOAT of IndyCar. Obviously, Mario Andretti will have a say in that. AJ Foyt will have a say in that as well. But Scott Dixon, to me, who is my favorite IndyCar driver of all time, him and Dario Franchini and Dan Weldon, they used to run things with Target Chip Ganassi. Scott Dixon still does, and Felix Rosenquist and Tony Kanaan, when he came over from Andretti, were kind of are kind of along for the ride. I think Rosenquist is the best teammate Scott Dixon has had since Dario Franchini, but he doesn't compare to Franchini and Dan Weldon, who was my favorite driver of all time before he tragically passed away a few years ago. On the race, it was... We were in the what car dealerships over there by Merle Hay Mall, the Ford dealership. We were there, and we heard it on the radio. It's not really something you're expecting to hear on the radio, but that was kind of how I found my – I already really liked Scott Dixon, but then seeing him and Dan Weldon's relationship after that was really cool. So J- Scott Dixon kind of just became that driver. But I'm really excited to see Jimmy Johnson race IndyCar. It's going to be very cool. And before we get into the main stuff we're going to talk about, my dad and I were talking about this a little bit. Like, we're going over goats of something. We're talking about Jimmy Johnson quite a bit, if he's the goat of NASCAR. So obviously got Richard Petty, Dale Earnhardt, Jeff Gordon's going to be talked about a lot in there as well. 
There's a lot of famous, really famous NASCAR drivers that will be talked about in the GOAT conversation. Jimmy Johnson's obviously won seven titles, which is joint with Richard Petty and Dale Earnhardt. But Richard Petty's won a lot of races, won over 200 races, or right at 200. I can't really remember exactly. But in that era, won a lot of cars there. Not compared to the cars we have now, where there's 42, 43 cars on the track. To, in my opinion, Jimmy Johnson is the greatest NASCAR driver of all time. You can disagree with that. You Obviously, Bertrand Petty is going to get a lot of talk. Dale Earnhardt is going to get talked about a lot in there as well. But Jimmy Johnson, watching his dominance in like a six-year era, in six years, did he win six straight titles? I could be wrong on that, but he won an unprecedented amount of titles in a row. Maybe it was five. I can't remember. But Jimmy Johnson dominated NASCAR. He didn't win all the time, but he was gra- he was getting top 10 wins and then just winning. and win- <laughs> It was just impre- Jimmy Johnson, goat of NASCAR. We're talking IndyCar, same thing. I'm saying it's Scott Dixon in that, but obviously Mario Andretti, A.J. Foyt, among others, are going to get talked about in that as well. But maybe maybe not now. Maybe not. If you don't want to say now, whatever. But Scott Dixon, I think, when, it, when he retires, will be the greatest IndyCar driver of all time. Okay. And then if we're going to, uh, what are the other sports were we talking about just a little bit ago? Hockey. Obviously, Wayne Gretzky is the greatest of all time. His point numbers are ridiculous. I know people like to talk about the goalies couldn't really move. They looked like freaking, like if they, you just put a cardboard box in net, that was pretty much the goalie standard of the 70s, 80s, 90s version of hockey, which a lot of people like to talk about. But still, Gretzky's point tally is just ridiculous. The assists, the goals, whatever. The amount of times he won. He didn't win a Rookie of the Year trophy. No, he didn't win the Calder trophy. No, 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 no. He won a freaking MVP trophy. He won the Hart trophy his first year and then won eight or nine consecutive MVP trophies. Like that error, that unprecedented amount of dominance was ridiculous. And then people can talk about Sidney Crosby. Mario Lemieux is going to get talked about up there as well. I think if Connor McDavid leaves Edmonton or if Edmonton starts to win something, we'll start seeing Connor McDavid up there eventually. Obviously not now, but eventually we could see his name up there. He's the best player in the show right now. He'll be up there with the GOATs, I would, I would assume, when it's all said and done. Obviously not right now. Patrick Kane, Mike Medano, jeez, uh, there's a lot of great hockey players. Bobby Orr, there's... A huge history of hockey players. Huge. The most historic trophy in all sports is the Stanley Cup. There's a lot of history in hockey. Obviously, you see like the Canadians and uh, Toronto Maple Leafs have a lot of Stanley Cups. Obviously, not recently. But a lot of those Cups, you could go like, well, those were when there were six teams. There was a lot of championships in those six teams. Which is why some people talk about Bill Russell's championships with the 12 he has, and goes, well, there's only, like, five teams. So, yeah, it was pretty easy if you had the best players to win those championships. But we still can't discredit them as championships, but they're, they're still championships, whether you want to say there's two teams playing or not. But, yeah, there's a lot of Stanley Cups. There's a lot of history in hockey. A lot of history in hockey. 
And the Maple Leafs, they're going to be trying to be one of those Canadian teams to finally end the curse of Canadian teams not winning the Stanley Cup because the last one was Montreal in 93? 92? Somewhere around there? I'm pretty confident Montreal was the last Canadian team to win the Stanley Cup. I could be wrong about that. The Oilers had a great run when Gretzky was there in the 80s. And then, obviously, Montreal has an unprecedented amount of Stanley Cups. I think they're in the 30s. 30s. No, that can't be right. For some reason, the two numbers are sticking out of my head, 36 and 24. I could be wrong. I've said that a lot this show. But Gretzky is the GOAT for hockey. Patrick Kane is the greatest American hockey player of all time. The North, uh, United States player of all time. Cause you, get, you could go, oh, Gretzky's American as well because he's North America. But when I say American, I'm talking United States of America. Patrick Kane's the greatest United States hockey player of all time. We're talking about NFL. We talked about this quite a bit in the last show. Tom Brady's the GOAT, unquestioned. It's, it's not even a debate. He has more Super Bowl trophies than every NFL franchise. The two teams in second place, the Steelers and the Patriots, he has all six of the Patriots trophies as well. Now he's on seven. And drunk Brady was my favorite thing I have seen in a while. Drunk Tom Brady is awesome. And <laughs> he gets the, the jokes of... Uh, Health guy. He just does all the healthy. Avocado ice cream and all that stuff. But Tom Brady, this has been decently documented over the past few seasons, is that dude can slam beers. That is what has been... It, you saw him slam a beer on, was it Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon show? A few years ago? He slams beers. And then you saw that, obviously, when he was getting carried around by one of his teammates or friends getting off the boat. It was one of the best clips ever, and it's circulating Twitter like freaking crazy. And people are getting upset about it. It's like, man, this is a role model. He's getting drunk. Oh, man, that's such a bad precedent to set for our children. Okay. Stop. Stop that right now. Brandon Marshall had the best take on this. For those who don't know Brandon Marshall, I'd be surprised if you didn't know him if you're listening to this. I guess you don't need to know him if you're listening to this. But... Former NFL wide receiver, played for the Broncos, Bears, Jets, Dolphins. Is that it? There might be a couple other teams in there. He said Tom Brady gets drunk after winning a championship. You get drunk on a Friday just, just because it's Friday night. Y'all not built the same. It's exactly right, Brandon. Great tweet. A-plus. A-plus tweet right there, Brandon Marshall. Tom Brady can get drunk whatever he wants. I don't care. I think it's hilarious. Dude's 43 years old and still pounding beers. Maybe some other alcoholic beverages as well. It's just fun to say pounding beers. It's not fun saying, I guess it can be kind of fun saying he's pounding the liquor, but beers is more fun to say. My dad and I just watched a clip. It was one of my one of the first times I ever saw an athlete drunk on TV. It was when Brad Keselowski won the 2012 NASCAR championship, won the, Na- the Sprint Cup championship in 2012. That was the first time I'd ever seen anybody drunk on TV, and it was an athlete. I guess I've seen drunk people on TV, but an athlete or a famous person or something, whether regardless of you want to call NASCAR drivers an athlete, especially Brad Keselowski, he's probably the least athletic NASCAR driver in recent memory. But dude was pounding this, like, two-foot-tall glass of Miller Lite, his sponsor at the time. And was just knocking it back. Getting interviewed after every question, after every time he was done answering it. 
took a sip of this giant beer. And this thing was almost gone by the time he did the interview. It was so funny. My dad and I just watched that a little bit ago because obviously the Tom Brady thing is circling social media like crazy. So I was like, Dad, do you remember watching this? We were in the basement of my Nana and Papa's house. And my Papa wasn't too happy about Brad Keselowski getting all drunk on TV. But I thought it was hilarious. That was 2012. So what? That was nine years ago. So I was 12, no, 14 years old. That was one of the funniest things I'd seen in a while. At that time. It was a very very exhilarating experience to see your first drunk athlete on TV. People you look up to go, wow, that is actually really funny. You don't really expect to see that. <laughs> when it, I remember when I was younger, speaking on that, I used to think athletes never did anything. Whether uh, drink, curse, whatever. And then I went to college. And then I saw that, yeah, <laughs> athletes do this all the time. Oh, man. That was, it was, uh, I remember being a kid and thinking that. And then once I heard an athlete say a bad word, I was completely thrown off by that. It's like, that's not, that's not right. That's wrong. And then seeing Brad Keselowski drunk as hell on TV was so funny. Go and watch the clip. It's on YouTube. If you just search Brad Keselowski, the second thing that pops up after just Brad Keselowski is Brad Keselowski drunk. And I'm sure it's gotten more views recently because of Tom Brady's drunken mishaps down in Tampa Bay. Pretty sure that's gained a few views because of that. But it's still funny. Go and watch that. So Tom Brady's the go to football. Basketball, that one's going to get talked about forever. Don't care. I'm saying Jordan. I'm a Bulls fan. Jordan won six titles, 6-0 in championships. I know LeBron's been to a lot of titles. LeBron does a lot more. Uh, with the basketballs, more as a facilitator, can rebound, can score. But it's a lot easier to do that if the offense is predicated on you, where the offense runs through you, where you're the point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, center, where you're deciding who shoots the ball. You get the ball in your hands at all times. When the, Michael Jordan was winning with the Bulls. They're in the triangle. Scottie Pippen was the point guard. The offense didn't run through Michael. Michael was just the main cog in the offense. It didn't run through him. Maybe main cog and run through are the same thing. I don't know. But it didn't run through him, is what I'm trying to say. Offense, whatever LeBron James is in, whether the Heat, Cavs, Lakers, offense runs through LeBron. That's It's a debate that will never end. Le- who's better, LeBron or Mike? We'll never know. We'll never really know. Michael's not really concerned about the GOAT conversation. Usually, the GOATs aren't. Like, Brady's not concerned with it. Jerry Rice is not concerned with it. He just recently did an interview talking about being the GOAT of football. Because before Brady, if we're talking about all-time players, you, Jerry Rice is definitely one or two if you're talking about the GOATs regardless of position in football. Obviously got like Lawrence Taylor is going to be in that conversation as well. Joe Montana, we've talked about before. Peyton Manning is going to get talked about. Uh, Bruce Smith, Reggie White. Uh, there's other players that I can mention here too. But those are the main guys involved in that GOAT conversation. Goats don't really care if you call them the go. They just want to go out there and win, which is exactly what Jordan did. Now, if we're talking about the executive, he's probably top five worst executives or worst owners of all time. If you look at all the draft picks and misses he's had, you should have. we should have known the start of his executive career. that the, At the start of his executive career, we should have known the rest of it was going to be terrible when he drafted Kwame Brown 
with the first pick of his executive reign with the Washington Wizards. That's where we should have known. Okay. And then drafted him. Kwame Brown said something. Jordan's like, okay, you know what? I'm going to go in here and show him up. Jordan (laughs) murders him psychologically to where it ruined Kwame Brown's career. And then now we know Kwame Brown like we know him now to be Kwame Brown. <laughs> like, I don't even need to say anything else other than he's Kwame Brown, and you understand what I mean by that. Like, you go from Michael Jordan, and then they're like, okay, we're going to trade you away. And then you wind up with the Lakers, and you have to get your already dead confidence, get, what is that thing called? Where you kill, it's a little overkill. It gets overkilled by freaking Kobe Bryant. <laughs> Oh, man, you want confidence, and if you're lacking confidence in yourself, you don't need Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant in your life. That is not, Dwight Howard was top of the freaking world, and his confidence got completely shot by Kobe Bryant. What do you think Kwame Brown went through when he got shot down by Jordan and then Kobe? Man, you can't accept That's a lot for a 19, 20-year-old kid to deal with. Going from Michael to Kobe. (laughs) That's not easy. Can't do that. But yeah, Jordan to me is the GOAT. And then baseball. Do we even want to get in to baseball on who's the GOAT in baseball? Does anybody really have an answer for who's the GOAT in baseball? Like, the different eras of baseball are just more... There's more eras in baseball than there is in seemingly every other sport in the world. Like you got the early era, like baseball, much like hockey, has a very thick history, more so than the other American sports. Baseball and hockey are the two most historic sports in America. I know we're known for football, and that's the biggest sport in America, but it's not the most historic. We're looking at championships around and how long these organizations have been around. That's where we go, wow, there's a lot of history here. <laughs> and baseball's just that. So it's pretty much impossible to say who a GOAT is in baseball. Because Babe Ruth is going to get talked about in there as well. Satchel Paige, Jackie Robinson will get talked about. Ken Griffey Jr. will get talked about. Then you got the likes of who? Barry Bonds will get talked about from the steroid era. People love Barry Bonds. People who are my age and a little bit older say Barry Bonds is the greatest player they've ever watched in baseball. Mike Trout is going to be mentioned in that conversation as well. Like, there's so... Derek Jeter could get mentioned in it. He's the second ever unanimous Hall of Famer in baseball behind Mariano Rivera, which I think's ridiculous when you look at all the history in baseball and those two. Great players as they are should not be the first and second unanimous Hall of Famers ever. That's ridiculous. Baseball writers, they, they think they're the smartest people in the world. Like, how can you not give like someone like Ken Griffey Jr., or Jackie Robinson, or Babe Ruth, unanimous Hall of Fame. That That's mind-boggling to me. And we've already discussed the whole steroid-era baseball thing, how none of them will probably ever go in the Baseball Hall of Fame, and how they should, because we threw in Tony La Russa and Bud Selig, who benefited directly from the likes of Mark McGuire, Jose Canseco, Barry Bonds, Alex Rodriguez, David Ortiz. Like, those guys, David Ortiz will go in the Hall of Fame. Roger Clemens is another one. But Barry Bonds will never be in the Hall of Fame. Sammy Sosa will never be in the Hall of Fame. Though I don't think 
Sammy Sosa, regardless of steroid use, should be in the Hall of Fame. I do think they she should he should be more honored in the Cubs organization. Maybe not in the history of baseball, but the Cubs organization, maybe. Because we can't pretend it didn't happen. So I don't know. That stuff's always a sticky situation with baseball. I can't really give you a firm answer on who the GOAT in baseball is. I don't think anybody really can. Because you're going to get a different opinions on that regardless. For this situation, I'm going to say Babe Ruth just because. Don't really have any real rhyme or reason because, again, the history of baseball is so thick. I just chose Babe Ruth. And then for soccer, it's messy. I don't care. I know Ronaldo is one of the greats. Messi and Ronaldo we compared forever, but Messi's better. I don't I'm done with I've had this talk on the show before. I've debated with some people. It's been really weird debates, but about Messi being greater than Ronaldo. It's going to get talked about forever, but it's not really comparable at this time with what Messi can do and how he's there's so many times you just go Wow, how there's nobody else that can do what Messi has done. Ronaldo does some things, like the amount of height he can get on a header. Like, not a lot of people in the world can do that. But he can't dribble like Messi. He can't pass like Messi. He can't run past defenders like Messi. He's a freaking tank. Messi's finesse, which makes him amazing to watch. No, he doesn't place the ball in the back of the net like Messi. He doesn't ruin defenders' career like, uh, like, Manchester United Ronaldo, he did that. When he went to Real Madrid, he was more of a goal scorer, not more of the finesse player, which I'm one of those people that thinks he was better overall player at Manchester United than he was at Real Madrid and now Juventus. But I'm one of those weirdos like that because I he was one of the reasons I became a Manchester United fan was because of him and Wayne Rooney. But then he went to, I remember when he went to Real Madrid, but that's another, we were in the car on the way to soccer practice leaving the neighborhood and we got the update about it. They were talking about it on the radio in Iowa which is how big of a deal that was. But yeah, those are my goats in all the respected sports around the world. So again, just recapping that, Messi in soccer, Jimmy Johnson in NASCAR, Scott Dixon in IndyCar, Tom Brady in football, Jordan in basketball, Gretzky in hockey, Babe Ruth in baseball. I guess, like, again, baseball's got such a thick history, you can't really go through the goats of baseball and come out with a firm answer with all the different eras that were around in baseball. Especially when you get in the murky waters of the steroid era, then you've got people, again, like I said, Barry Bonds to a lot of people is the greatest player of all time. But, I don't know, it's 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 murky waters in baseball. You don't really get firm answers in baseball. Which is why no one's ever made a unanimous Hall of Fame, except for Mario Rivera, Derek Jeter. Which is crazy. I think that's very funny. But... Yeah, that's whatever. Baseball writers are a very weird group of people. And, yeah, I don't know. They hold a lot of weight over that, on who will make the Hall of Fame and who won't. But that, that Mario Rivera and Derek Jeter thing's weird. When you look at the history of baseball, those two are not the two greatest players in baseball history, which is basically what they're saying with unanimous Hall of Fame. Because they're the only two. Again, the only two. Which means in their brains... Derek Jeter and Mariano Rivera are the two greatest players in baseball, which is just not true. They're up there, but they're not the two greatest. Because when you look at greats, you think, oh, man, that's a unanimous Hall of Famer right there. No, Derek Jeter and Mariano Rivera are not the two greatest baseball players of all time. 
and especially shouldn't be the first ones. I respect and love what they did, but uh, yeah, it's a no from me. But and we, as we stick in baseball, I was going to talk about this a little bit before we got into a very weird sidetrack at the beginning of the show, but we got an update today. It's very upsetting that the Chicago Cubs and Mets are talking about a Chris Bryant trade again. I thought that was closed off, but nope, it's back open. And the Cubs, if they trade Chris Bryant, I mean, it was already looking like a wash season anyways, but it's even more of a wash. I know Chris Bryant hasn't been the same Chris Bryant since injuring his shoulder post that MVP season, the World Series season, but it's done. Uh, I don't, I'm not, I love David Bodie. He's one of my favorite Cubs players of recent eras. I watched him on the iCubs. It was awesome when I worked there. It was sweet to watch him play day in and day out and then go up to the majors and then come back down to the mash in the minors and then go back up again. Now he's stuck there. But I'm not, I'm, I apologize if I'm not too confident going into a season with an infield of Rizzo, Horner, Baez, and Bodie. That doesn't just, that doesn't really breed confidence, especially when you look in the division with a team with De Jong and Arenado on the left side of their infield. And it really inspire confidence. But hey, the Cubs could surprise me. They had a lot of players have down years last year, but a lot of players in baseball had down years last year. It's very weird timing for everything in baseball last year. But hey, you got to move on from that. And, and one player, Andrew Benintendi, formerly of the Boston Red Sox, just got traded to the Kansas City Royals. Which was weird. I did not see that coming at all. I knew I knew the Red Sox were tanking, essentially tanking. Now it's just full blown. Let's just we're blowing everything up at this point. Their whole outfield from the World Series team, Bradley, Betts, and Benintendi are gone. I guess I shouldn't say Bradley's gone. I don't know if he's gone or not, but it just seems like he's gone. But Benintendi's a talented player. Very fast. Very good in the field, good bat. Now, obviously not last year. Had a pretty down year last year. But you can see the Cubs, and they're not the same player. The player I'm about to say is a lot better, in my opinion, than Ben Benintendi, but two different positions. Baez had a down year last year for the Cubs. I don't think the Cubs were really shopping Javier Baez. The diff- now, the difference is Javier Baez is the face of the Chicago Cubs franchise. Ben Benintendi is not the face of the Red Sox franchise. He might have been the best player, but he wasn't the face of the franchise, okay? Maybe you could go with Xander Bogarts or something to face the franchise for the Red Sox. or I don't know. But, but it was a weird year for baseball last year. Very weird year for baseball. But having a decently full season, because I'm expecting there's going to be some games canceled and postponed throughout this summer. But having a season more normal than last year, especially last year, especially since there's going to be no DH, universal DH. That has not been approved so, yeah, we're going to go back to pitchers hitting in the NL, which people, some people like it. Some old heads in baseball really like the pitchers hitting, but I would much rather see a universal DH. I think most people would rather see a universal DH. It gets more exciting. Like, usually, in the early innings, because obviously you're going to pull the pitcher around the 6th, 7th, 8th inning, so you're going to have a field position player once you get to the pitcher's spot in the batting order. But when in those early innings, you're expecting a bunt. That doesn't really excite like, oh, I can sit down. I don't really need to expect anything. The pitcher's coming up. 
It's not very fun. Sometimes it's fun because you get pitchers like Madison Bumgarner, Jake Arrieta, Adam Wainwright that love to hit the baseball. But most of the time, it's not very fun. Watching John Lester hit and getting the odd hit was awesome. But when he first came to Chicago, that bat never left his shoulder. It was so, I, 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 mixed, I have mixed feelings about the Universal DH not being implemented in this season. I would much rather have it back. It was a nice little addition last year that players and fans alike have been pining for for about 20 years, it feels like. Maybe a little longer than that. I don't know. It just seems like something they've always wanted. And now we're just asking the pitchers to bat again, even though they haven't done that in seemingly two years. So it's it's going to be weird. It's it's going to be weird seeing that back. And old heads, then the traditionalists will love it. People that want exciting baseball because, I don't know, baseball can be boring at times. Even though I love baseball, I love the Chicago Cubs, it can be boring at times. And the DH certainly helps excite the fans a little bit. And it looks a little upsetting when you don't see the universe of the DH there. But, man, it's it's going to be a weird year for the Cubs especially. I don't know what they're going to do with all these trades. They're trying to get a lot of big contracts off their books. They got you Darvish gone, which they didn't get anything really back, so I don't know why they – I get the trade. I wasn't surprised when they traded him. When I looked at – saw, oh, you Darvish been traded? Okay. I kind of expected that. And then I saw what he got traded for, and I was kind of taken back by that a little bit. Like, that's all you really got for a guy that was almost a, almost a National League Cy Young winner? Back-to-back seasons? Really? That's what we. That's who the Cubs got? And gave up the backup catcher as well, which I get Miguel Amaya is going to be the backup catcher this year. I know they got Austin Romaya in there, but – Miguel Amaya will event will pro I would assume Miguel Amaya will take more backstop reps before Roma. I don't really know, but if the Cubs wanted to proceed in his development, I've pretty much heard every Cubs player except for Baez and Rizzo could be traded. It's that's essentially how I'm looking at it right now. Rizzo and Baez seemingly untouchable. Everybody else can get traded at any time. Wilson Contreras could get traded. Chris Bryant probably will get traded. And I'm scared to think of what they'll get back for him, especially if he goes to the Mets. The Mets are looking good. That's a very good left-sided infield you got there over in New York, over in Queens. You got Francisco Lindor at shortstop and then Bryant at third. Man, they're trying to be the best team in New York, which I think the Yankees still have, even though the Mets made a lot of good deal, made some big moves this offseason. They got the richest owner in baseball, but I still think the Yankees, I'm going to list them above the Mets for right now. And we were going to talk about this at the end of the show Wednesday. Never got around to it. We kind of previewed it a little bit. But the Bakota standings came out, the predictions for the upcoming Major League Baseball season have been released. This is as of February 7th, 2021. So this has been out for a little bit. But I'm going to talk about it now because I didn't do a show on Monday. I didn't have time to talk about it on Wednesday because we talked about the mock draft, which... Trevor Lawrence, speaking of that mock draft, will be throwing today or Friday. And so be be sure to watch that. This hopefully will be out by the time before that takes place. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. But this is what the Bakota standings say in the AL East. This is now I would like to preface this. This is not I'm not gonna say my predictions yet. We do that right before the season starts. 
Obviously, we got spring training coming up. Pitchers and catchers haven't even reported yet, so we don't even we're not even going to touch that yet. But here's what we got for the AL East: we got the Yankees, Rays, Toronto, Boston, and Baltimore. I think that's fair. I think that's what's going to finish up. I think that's what we got right now. I think the uh, Yankees are easily winning this division. I don't think there's really going to be up up for debate here. The Rays lost Blake Snell, which is a very big loss for them, but they got some exciting prospects coming up, so that'll help them out. But I don't think it'll be as close as it was last year. I don't think they'll be pushing for a World Series title this year. But they'll be in the conversation for that second-place spot. Them in Toronto. Boston dipped that lower down. They got the projected 80 wins, dropped that to about 77, I would guess, right now. Baltimore's coming last. No need to worry about that. AL Central, the Twins at top. Yeah. Then the Cleveland Indians. Or are they calling themselves the Indians this year? I can't remember if they changed their name officially or not. The White Sox third, the Royals fourth, Detroit Tigers fifth. I think the fourth and fifth spots are right. I think number one spot's right. Twins will win. I'm going to stick the White Sox above Cleveland. For right now, they got the reigning AL MVP and, and uh, crap, Joel, uh, wow, Abreu. What? I'm completely blanking right now on his first name. Wow. Wow. I'm, what, Juan Abreu, no, what? Abreu, whatever. I don't know. I can't remember. They got Tim Anderson, Yohan Mankata, Giolito's there. Very talented ace they've got there. They've got some talent on their roster still. they got some young players coming up still. Eloy Jimenez out in left field. Luis Robert out in center field. they got some talented players on this team. I'm going to stick them above Cleveland, just barely. I think the Indians, they have them at 85.7 projected wins. The White Sox, 83.1. I think if you flipped that, I think that's more accurate, at least for my position right now. And then the AL West, we got the Astros, Angels, Oakland, Seattle, and Texas. Seattle and Texas will be battling for that fourth and fifth spot, as per usual. The A's, maybe a little under-projected, I guess, 79.6. A's always like to fly under the radar a little bit. That's what they've always done really good at. Matt Chapman's still there, so I think they're going to be pushing the Angels the Angels? It's the Angels. They're historically known I mean, uh, that for just not having any pitching whatsoever, especially in the 21st century. Never have had a lot of pitching. So that's going to be their problem here, or a little bit of an issue here. Obviously, they got Mike Trout, Rendon. But, yeah, they got Dexter Fowler. So Joe Mann's got his guy back. But I think the Astros do win this division. But the Angels in the Oakland A's will be battling it out for that second place spot. We go to the NL East. We got New York, Washington, Philly, Atlanta, and then Miami. That's a little bit disrespectful to the Atlanta Braves. Down in fourth with 82.4 wins. It's a little disrespectful there. They got a very talented team. They got that reigning NL MVP in Freddie Freeman. I was thinking the Braves up in second. I am confident they'll finish second in this division. I think it's the Mets division. Everybody's going to be back and healthy. Syndergaard's going to be back. DeGrom's still the best pitcher in baseball. So I think the Mets will still win this division, regardless if they get Chris Bryant or not. They're still the best team in the NL East. Uh, the Braves will finish second. I'm going to say the Phillies finish third, and then Washington finishes fourth. Could be close. Could be close. They have them projected Washington at 85, Philly at 83, Atlanta at 82.4. So it will be close to the end. But I'm going to go New York. Atlanta, Philly, Washington, Miami. For right now. This is not an official prediction. This is how my gut tells me right now. 
NL Central, Milwaukee, Chicago, St. Louis, Cincinnati, and Pittsburgh. Uh, I would be surprised if the Cardinals didn't win the division. I'd be surprised if the Cubs came second. So that's what I'm going to say about this prediction pretty much. I think we'll finish St. Louis, Milwaukee, Chicago, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh. The Cubs still got decent players. Kyle Hendricks still there. Uh, Rizzo, Baez, as we talked about before. Ian Happ, if he continues to play like he did last year, will be one of the best players on the team. Willis Contreras, Jock Peterson's got a lot of power from left field. So I don't think they're atrocious. I'm a pessimistic fan. We've talked about this before. So my immediate reaction to all these moves is always, oh, they're done. That's how my reaction has always been. But once the season starts coming around, I start getting a little bit more, I don't want to say more confident, but a little less, oh, man, they're going to be absolutely terrible. They're going to be the worst team in the division. You heard that with my Blackhawks stuff. They're not atrocious, but they're bad. They're not atrocious. But the Cubs, I think third is fine. Them and the Reds will be battling it out for that third spot. I don't know. Losing Trevor Bauer is going to be big. He got that massive deal to go to the L.A. Dodgers. Or decently massive deal. Short-term deal, but a big big dollar amount attached to that. So that'll be a big loss for them. But they still got talent on the roster. So I'm not going to sleep too hard on the St. Louis or the Cincinnati Reds. Yeah, that's what I've got. I'm going to go St. Louis, Milwaukee, Chicago, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh. Cincy and, again, Cincy and Chicago will be battling out for third. NL West, the easiest division to predict in all of baseball. I'm not even going to change anything on here. The Dodgers, Padres, Diamondbacks, Giants, and Colorado Rockies. Rockies will be the worst team in baseball this year. Them and the Pirates and, what, the Tigers, because they're always around the bottom of the league, will be battling for that worst, that coveted worst team in baseball. Rockies are, I don't even know. They didn't give up. They got nothing back for Nolan Arenado, which pisses me off even more, the fact that he's in St. Louis now. But, yeah, Rockies suck. Uh, Diamondbacks and San Francisco Giants are not very good. The Padres are very good, and the Dodgers are very, very good. So that's my analysis for the NL West. Dodgers will win the division. They're going to be the best team in baseball. 102.9 wins is projected total for them, maybe a little less because 103, essentially, is a lot of wins. (laughs) That is a lot of wins. They could do it, though. They they, They definitely have the talent to do that. Their pitching rotation is ridiculous. You've got Kershaw, Bueller. Now you got Trevor Bauer. Then you got Luis Urias there. Or not Luis Urias, but Urias, their four-hole side. David Price is still there. Cody Bellinger, Mookie Betts, Max Muncy, Will Smith. Not that Will Smith. They've got talent coming out the ass in Los Angeles. Good Lord, they got talent. Now, do I think Bauer's one of the best pitchers in all of baseball? Like, the best no. A top 10 pitcher? Maybe. He had a very good year last year, obviously winning the NL Cy Young Award. But DeGrom's the best pitcher in baseball. I think that's... In my opinion, I think DeGrom is clear for the best pitcher in baseball. But I'm open to hearing debates for like Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, Bauer, Kershaw, Bueller. There's a lot of good flarity if you want to be that Cardinals fan that throws him in there. But there's some good pitchers in baseball. That's no disrespect to Trevor Bauer. It's more of a comp or more of a compliment to everybody else in baseball being really freaking good. But yeah, that's what I've got for baseball. And like I said, we've got Trevor Lawrence throwing tomorrow, which is very exciting. Or today, Friday, because the show comes out on Fridays. That's very exciting for 
average fans, I guess, I don't take a lot away from these workouts or whatever because there's one thing I learned when I was younger was that everybody can look good on air. Everybody can look good on air. Even if you've never picked up a football in your entire life, you can look good on air. I'm not saying you look amazing or perfect, but you can look good on air. Everybody, no one looks atrociously bad. If you look bad, then you're not a quarterback. That's just your problem here. Trevor Lawrence will throw good. We already know what he can do. We love his arm strength, his size, mobility, leadership, winning mentality, everything. But you can't really take a lot away from throwing on air. Because, again, any quarterback at any level can look good on air. I don't really like to take a, a ton away from the combine as well because you're running in your underwear. I don't care how fast you can run 40 yards in a straight line in your underwear because you know how many times you're going to do that in the NFL? Zero. But it's a great barometer for straight line speed, which is what's very appealing and the most fun thing to watch in the, at the combine is the 40-yard dash. Everybody wants to know how fast they are. And it's the one that people actually get competitive about. Like every other, being at William Penn, even, even in high school, we did certain combine workouts. It wasn't the combine, but you did workouts. Like at the end of each semester, you after you were done training and everything, you tested your speed, your agility, your bench press reps, everything. You tested all of it. So when the 40-yard dash, though, that's the one, especially in the skill position areas, are the super and uber competitive parts. Like quarterbacks. I know quarter, you don't matter. Tom Brady ran a freaking 5-2-4-40. I don't care about your 40-yard dash. The agility drills, the three-cone drills, that's really the ones you should probably pay the most attention to. But like Orlando Brown, the right tackle for the Ravens, who we talked about in the last show, who is apparently wanting to move on from Baltimore because he doesn't want to play right tackle again because the money difference from right tackle to left tackle is a lot. It is a very big difference. So I don't blame him for wanting to move on. But he ran a bad 40, and his draft stock dropped. He's an offensive lineman. Why are we judging Lineman's 40-yard dash speed. If I'm a lineman, I'm avoiding running that 40-yard dash at all costs. I don't care if I'm feeling good that morning and I think I could run a freaking 4-8 like Tristan Wirfs did. I don't care. I'm not running the 40. Because for some odd reason, that's going to tank my draft stock. An offensive lineman weighing 320 pounds who plays left guard is going to run a 40-yard dash. The only time I'm running a 40-yard dash as an offensive lineman is if I'm going to down to celebrate to do a beer, uh, shotgunning a beer on the football after my teammate scored a touchdown or my running back gives me the football to spike it. That's the only time I'm running 40 yards in a straight line ever. The only positions it really matters is cornerback and maybe wide receiver. Other than that, nothing really matters from the 40-yard dash. I, the combine's just fun. It's not really telling you anything. We already know what these players can do. Now we just need to know what they do with barely any clothes on, see how fast they are. We know what football speed is. And people don't – There's this is another adage that I love. It's one of my favorite things I've heard my entire life. There's a difference between football speed and straight line speed or combine speed. Those are two totally different things. 
Jordan Bernstein and Adam Robinson, they're two former Iowa Hawkeye players, both went to Des Moines Lincoln. My dad's friend Tom Mahalovich used to be the coach for Des Moines Lincoln when those two were there. He said, if you ran these two in a 40-yard dash, Jordan Bernstein wins every time. If you put these two in pads, Adam Robinson wins every time. There, It's a weird dynamic. I don't really know how to explain it, but there's a difference between straight-line speed and football speed. Throwing on the pads and running, it's a different speed than what you feel at the combine. Totally different. I am. Uh, I would think that I was a perfect example of that. I am faster than what my 40-yard dash was, which I think my best 40-yard dash was a 4.87 or something like that in college. That was my best one, if I remember correctly. But I was always one of the faster kids playing soccer. I could evade tacklers like very easily. I never went down easily. That was one thing I always prided myself on. But I wasn't very... 40-yard dash, you have to have the right technique. Everything in 40-yard dash is technique. Your start's huge. If you start and just stand straight up, you're done. You're going to hopefully get, if you're a wide receiver, a 4-6. Hopefully. you got to look straight down at the ground for about five yards, and they're just low, like, I don't even know how to explain it. Keep your shoulders low, essentially. Because if you start bad, your 40-yard dash time's done. It's trashed. It's done. Done out here for you. So that's why it's always hard where you go, why do you judge this that much? Like, everybody, the fast players, like, will Jalen Waddle break Chris Johnson's 40-yard dash, or John Ross's 40-yard dash record? Look how great of a career John Ross has had in the NFL. Been fantastic, right? Got drafted ninth overall. He's done absolutely nothing. He's been hurt most of the time in Cincinnati. Just hasn't done anything. I don't even know what he's good. He, I don't know. Now, it, I was surprised when they drafted him ninth overall, but that speed thing is huge. It's ridiculous. That 40-yard dash is crazy. Like, I don't know what you can take away from combine workouts, really. You take away the interviews, that's the main thing you're getting out of combines, in my opinion. You're getting the interviews with the players. That's the big thing. Like, you even watch Trevor Lawrence throw and go like, wow, that's a great... You see the timing on that throw with no defender and no offensive line and no people rushing him? Man, that was great timing on that throw. Oh, that's a pretty ball. Like, oh, yeah, that's a very beautiful ball that he just launched. You know, like I've said, I've said this on the show before. The deep throws are the more impressive, like, make people go, oh, wow, that's a great throw. That's a beautiful throw. But the more impressive throws are the throws from 5 to 15 yards where you're trying to fit it in certain holes. Watch Josh Allen's throw against Fred Warner in the San Francisco 49ers. Watch that throw. Watch Justin Fields' throw against uh, Clemson where he placed it right over the linebacker's head or the jumping safety's head. Watch that those highlights. I know they're not going to raise like – when you see a quarterback drop back, cock his arm and just launch it 60 yards down the field, that gets everybody to stand up. And you don't really appreciate the short throws until you watch it again and go, wow, that is an amazing throw. Like any quarterback at that level can throw it 50 yards. I can throw 50 yards. I did that when we were doing a stupid video last, what, August? I threw 55 yards when I was up at UNI. Like, quarterbacks at that level, if you're getting, if you are a draftable quarterback, you can throw 50 yards easily. So if we look at it like that, a bomb down the middle of the field is not really that impressive. You threw it before the receiver got there. That's kind of what you're supposed to do. 
the out routes, the comeback routes, where you're going, the receiver's going to 12, back to 8 towards the sideline, that's the impressive stuff there. Because on those routes, you got to be linked up with the timing. you got to know what that receiver's going to do. Once he gets to 12, you got to throw that ball. If you throw it late, that's getting jumped, and that's housed the other way for the pick six. Which is one of the worst thing, one of the worst feelings you can possibly feel is when you see a defender jump a route and just know there's absolutely nothing no one's doing about that. That's a point for the other team. Dig routes, trying to put the football on their body because if you lead them too far out, they're gonna get their head taken off by either the safety or linebacker. A post route, a skinny post route where you place it right over the defender's head. A post route where you place it over to the defender's head. Vert routes where the def- receiver is like five yards past the defender and you throw it 50 yards, that's not that impressive in the grand scheme of being a quarterback. And I know I wasn't like an amazing quarterback or anything, but I like to think I know the position well enough to tell you that don't take anything away from Trevor Lawrence's workout. One reason, because we already know what he can do in the college level. We watched him play football. The other reason, he's getting drafted number one overall regardless. Whether he has a good workout or not, he's going number one overall. To the Jacksonville Jaguars. Well, I shouldn't say Jacksonville. What if the Texans trade the the Jaguars trade the whole future for Deshaun Watson? The Texans get Trevor Lawrence. Or the Jets pull off a massive trade and take Trevor Lawrence for number one. Or Trevor Lawrence kills somebody and then he drops all the way out of the draft. Or there's some, because this always happens. My dad and I were talking about this earlier. Uh, someone finds out that he smoked weed one time. And he's not draftable anymore. Because you know that always happens. Talked about that with my dad. We talked about Warren Sapp on Wednesday. Going about the defense thing. Warren Sapp dropped from a top 10 pick. Top 5, 10, 10, geez. Top 5 to top 10 pick. To like 13 or 12 or whatever. To the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Which had obviously worked out very well for them. For the Buccaneers and Warren Sapp. But... Stuff like that pops. Laramie Tunsil with the gas mask thing. Dropped him from outside of the top five to pick 13 in the Miami Dolphins. Now, that's a lot of money dropped. Now, both of those players made up all that money in the long run. And at the times, you're probably playing for better teams. If you're going later in the draft, the chances of you playing for a better team are a lot higher. Unless you got, like, the Dolphins picking three or something, and then the Jets are picking 23. That's a situation where, okay, I might want to go number three to the Dolphins instead of going, not just the money side of things. But yeah, don't take anything away from Trevor Lawrence's interview workout. Because every quarterback that goes through this draft process, from Trevor Lawrence all the way down to like Sam Ellinger, can look good in a workout. So don't take it. You know what they can do in college football. We've watched them. Take away what you hear in the interviews. That's how we'll get a good barometer of how this player actually will work. Now, some players in interviews can put on a show, can make you think something different, that they're this great teammate and all that. You're going to have to interview the coaches, interview ex-teammates as well, but don't take anything away from workouts. It's not really something to (laughs) to pin a lot of things on. Now, if he's going out there and they're running seven on seven or they're running a full – 11 on 11, no pad scrimmage, then fine. Take everything away you want from that. But if he's lining up, taking snaps and shotgun, 
and then throw into Justin Ross, who's running a post route with no defender on him. It, it, it's not really a lot to take away from that, really. Like, Josh Allen's combine workout was awesome to watch because you never saw a quarterback throw it 70, 80 yards on the combine before, which is awesome to watch, but you can't take anything away from that. It's like, wow, that's cool. Because it, in the grand scheme of everything in the NFL, strong-arm quarterbacks doesn't mean you're getting a home-run hitter as a quarter as a as a franchise. Now, Josh Allen's worked out because he's done the intermediate passing routes. He's worked on his mechanics. Everything's fixable. I know a lot of people like to say you can't. You expect him to get better in the NFL. Yes, a lot of people throughout the history of the NFL have done that. Joe Montana and Tom Brady are not two of the greatest college quarterbacks of all time. They're the two greatest NFL quarterbacks of all time, which is what really matters. Like, in the greatest college quarterback list of all time, you'll get Matt Leinert will be in there, Vince Young, A.J. McCarron, Tim Tebow, Colt McCoy, Sam Bradford. None of those guys really worked out in the NFL. But we don't care about greatest college quarterbacks of all time. Those guys were college stars and didn't pan out in the NFL. Brady and Montana were not college stars. Neither one of them have that strong of arms. But they've won, and they're the two greatest quarterbacks of all time. Undoubtedly. I don't know why people might argue with that. They're stupid. I don't know. That's all I can really say about that whole situation, that if you think anybody goes into that top two other than Brady and Montana, I'm sorry. You've got something wrong with you. Or you're just confrontational. That's really all I could take away from that. That's what I would tell somebody. But yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. So on the draft, we obviously know Trevor Lawrence is going number one overall. And we did mock draft 1.0. I guess technically it was 2.0 because we did do a mock draft a few months, like a month ago, probably. When the draft order, the top 18 draft order first got released, we did a kind of a mock draft. It wasn't really one, but we did one anyways. This one was mock, the official Mock Draft 1.0. We did the quarterback rankings thing. And has any of those quarterbacks changed, in my opinion, as far as the rankings? No. Because nothing's happened. I haven't seen their combine. I heard anything from their combine workouts or anything. But from what I can tell, though the rankings haven't changed, I think the order in which they go, in my opinion, has changed. Because you can rank people higher but they might not go earlier than somebody because some team might value this spot more than another position. Does that make sense? Like, a team might need a quarterback, and is Zach Wilson a better prospect than, say, Jamar Chase? Probably not, in the grand, and if you're looking at the grand scheme of things. But the Jets would take, you would assume, someone like Zach Wilson over a guy like Jamar Chase or Devontae Smith, who are the two best receivers in this draft class. In most people's opinions, some people might throw in Jalen Waddle over Smith, but I would say Jamar Chase and Devontae Smith are number one and two. In whatever uh, whatever order you want to put them in. That's the order, though. Or those are the two players. So, like, Zach Wilson, from everything I've read, because I don't have any sources. This is a pretty crappy show. If you want to get, like, in-depth analysis or something, sure, I can help you on that. But if you want to know which player's going where... I'm probably the last person you're going to talk to because I know as much as you. I can just use predictions and context clues to try and figure it out. Like, I tried to type a paper today 
of where every quarterback got traded. It was one of the hardest papers I ever had to do because of the fact, why would this team, and it was just moving all 32 quarterbacks to different teams, and it was painful to try and find a match at each spot. So I wasn't just going to go, oh, well, we could just move them down one. So it's, yeah, it's weird. It wasn't worth it. I didn't get anything really done on that paper. I got a list done, but I ain't posting it anywhere. I might talk about it on Monday. But from everything, back to the original thing, everything I've heard is Zach Wilson's going to be the second quarterback taken. Regardless of what I think of him and Justin Fields, Zach Wilson will be going number two in regards to the quarterback position. Might not be going number two overall. Probably will, but... He won't be. He'll be going the second quarterback, guaranteed. From what it sounds like, and from everything I've heard as well, it has been said that Trey Lance has crept into that number three spot. But I'm still not putting Trey Lance above Justin Fields at this point in time. And we talked about this a tiny bit on the Logan Blackman show when we were going over mock draft 1.0, and that was: Are we going through possibly another? Mitchell Trubisky, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes situation where we're taking a guy off one good year over a guy that we know has done good stuff throughout his time at a bigger school. And then this goes in the same argument of, man, well, he only did this good because of the talent around him. And Zach Wilson did it with nobody. Oh, jeez. I didn't think there would be sound on this video. That wasn't very fun. Shut up, Mike Greenberg. He's talking to Mel Kuyper. I don't know if you could actually hear that or not, but I could, so I'm going to talk about it. But looking at the statistics from Zach Wilson and Justin Fields, because it's, it's going to get talked about, because it is a similar situation. Justin Fields was a Heisman finalist the season prior. Like, we're going to talk about this being a thing until the draft's over, probably not even, probably even after the draft's over. We're just going to keep talking about this forever and ever, just like we're talking about Trubisky, Watson, Mahomes. We're going to do the exact same thing. And Bears fans, I'm aware, Mitchell Trubisky has a better win percentage than Deshaun Watson. But that's not what we're going to talk about here. I'm going to talk about their college stuff. So I'm trying to pull up Deshaun Watson, Mitchell Trubisky, and Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, college stats. But it's taking a little longer because you got to click a few more buttons with Deshaun Watson and Mitchell Trubisky. So with Zach Wilson, he'll be our Mitchell Trubisky example. Zach Wilson playing at BYU, much like Trubisky, had one year of very, very good play. Because when Mitchell Trubisky was at North Carolina, I don't know how many of you remember this, Trubisky was, was good. He was very good. We talked about him quite a bit on the Logan Blackman show, and when he got drafted by the Bears, or at least the first quarterback taken, I should say, I wasn't too surprised. The fact I was surprised about was the fact that he got taken second overall. I wasn't surprised he was the first quarterback taken based off what I heard and what I saw of him in college. But that was one year. Zach Wilson, similar thing. Zach Wilson, 3,600 yards, almost 3,700 yards, 33 touchdowns, three picks, 73% completion percentage. The previous two years... Okay, 2,300 yards in 2019, 1,500 yards in 2018. Touchdowns to interceptions in 2019, 11 touchdowns to 9 interceptions. 2018, 12 touchdowns, 3 interceptions. 
Completion percentage, 65% 2018, 62 in 2019. And then the jump to 73. With the around the same number of just under, what, 15, 17 passing t- pass attempts more this year as opposed to 2019 for Zach Wilson. If we look at Mitchell Trubisky at North Carolina, now the his production went up a lot because he barely played his first two years of college. I'm pretty sure he has the lowest number of starts out of any quarterback taken in the first round in NFL history. I could that could have changed because he had 13. That could be that could change by this point. Zach Wilson does have more than 13. It's more of the fact that he has one season of production. And Trubisky's last season at North Carolina, 3,700 yards, 30 touchdowns, six picks, 68% completion percentage. Those are very very good numbers playing for North Carolina. And a lot of people will use the fact that he didn't have any talent around him. So we should look at his numbers and go, wow, that's impressive. You look at Matt Ryan and how he's done his career. He went from to Boston College. Joe Flacco, he was at Delaware. Josh Allen at Wyoming. We have, what are some other ones? Lamar Jackson at Louisville. Like, when you see these small small smaller school quarterbacks play very, very well with little to no talent around them, you go, okay, well, they're better than someone like Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes because he's playing with no NFL talent, which is why Zach Wilson's draft stock is decently high. One of the reasons Zach Wilson's draft stock is very high because he's not playing with NFL talent. The thing that might hurt him is the fact that, yes, he didn't have a bad game, but it's the fact that if he had a bad game, That'd be very concerning because they're playing absolutely nobody's, which is not anybody's fault at BYU. It's not Zach Wilson's fault that they played North Alabama and then proceeded to say any team, any time, any place, and then refused to play Washington. That's not their, their fault. They didn't make the schedule. They were basically took what they were given, where we can't – no one – every conference, we're an independent school. Every conference has axed off – Non-conference play. All the teams we were playing, which they were probably going to play the likes of USC, Michigan, uh, Navy. I think they did play Navy at one point. Maybe that game got canceled. I can't remember. But they took what they were given and played very, very well. That shouldn't be taken away from anything. But the one-year production thing, the playing of nobody, is the concerning things here. You can hold that again. I'm not going to hold the the teams they play, but it is something to consider when looking at his draft stock. Now, comparing Trubisky to Zach Wilson individually, Trubisky is bigger than Zach Wilson as far as weight goes. They're around the same height, but Trubisky's got 30 pounds, maybe 40 pounds. I know Zach Wilson's listed at 210. That's BS. I don't think he's 210 whatsoever. I'm 215. I am bigger, a lot bigger than Zach Wilson just by looking at him on the TV because he looks very small on TV. He's about like two inches high on TV. I'm joking, okay? He's very tiny. Smaller than what he's listed. I don't believe he's 6'3", 210. I'm not going to believe that. I'm going to say 6'2", probably 190 is my guess for Zach Wilson because coaches allow you to raise your stuff a little bit for the depth chart and rosters. That was something we did in high school. I, I did not opt to do that because I was like, I thought six foot one ninety, which is what I weighed in high school, 
I thought that sounded good. Looking back at old pictures, I was skinny as hell. But yeah, that's the thing. Trubisky's bigger than Watson. Or than, uh, not bigger than Watson, bigger than Wilson. Wilson, though, has a lot better arm talent than Trubisky does. Wilson is also more mobile. And since he's smaller, he's smarter when he runs. He doesn't take a lot of big hits. But his arm is the thing that's the amazing part for a lot of people. His arm is insane. For being as skinny as he is, he's got a rocket arm. He's got a very, very live arm. And he's very accurate, which is a big thing there. And he's got that swag people look for. He's got the headband. He's like Jim McMahon Mark II. Now time will tell if he's as tough as Jim McMahon, but he got an arm. And he got that swag that a lot of people are liking here. So him and Trubisky in their last seasons... Very comparable. Like, 3,700 yards for Trubisky. We've got 3,600 yards, almost 3,700 yards for Zach Wilson. 30 touchdowns for Trubisky, 33 touchdowns for Wilson. Three interceptions for Wilson, six interceptions for Trubisky. Then the completion percentage, 73% for Wilson, 68% for Trubisky. Now, if we're looking at Justin Fields, who had a quote-unquote down year with 22 touchdowns, six picks, completed 70% of his passes, 2,100 yards. Whatever. If you view that as a down year, I'm sorry. Because it's not very, it's not that bad of a year comparing to how little of games they played and his passing numbers with the touchdowns, with the yards, would have gone up if they played a full season. They played seven games, seven, eight games. They played 13 games the season prior. He's 1,100 yards below what he had his season total the year before. I'm pretty confident he could have passed that this season if they played a full season. And a lot of people want to go into, he had bad games against Northwestern and Indiana. Two top 25 teams, two really good defense, especially Northwestern's defense. Actually, I don't remember if Northwestern's top 25 or not. They were close. They're always around top 25. But their defense was one of the best in college football. So I'm not going to hold a lot of weight into the bad game. He's going to have bad games. This might come as a surprise. Every quarterback's had bad games. Patrick Mahomes has bad games. Tom Brady's had bad games. Aaron Rodgers has had bad games. Every quarterback is going to have bad games. The games that mattered most, Justin Fields performed. You saw that against Clemson this year, where he threw six touchdowns and broke his ribs. That's the performance. That's the gutsy performance we're looking for in a quarterback at the next level. Can you take a hit and get up? That's the big thing here. Can you deliver when you're hurt? Can you deliver when the moment's the biggest, when the lights are shining the brightest? That's where we look at Justin Fields and go, yes, this is what I want from my franchise quarterback. But the thing is, is he more mobile? Yes. Probably, actually, probably about similar in mobility. Is Zach, does he have a stronger arm than Zach Wilson? Not really. Justin Fields, I would say, his arm's a little bit less than Zach Wilson's. Are they who's more accurate? I would say they're about the same in accuracy. If you look at some of the balls uh, Justin Fields has placed throughout his time at Ohio State, they're very impressive. He threw six interceptions this year, three last year. He's thrown nine interceptions college career as opposed to 67 touchdowns. Completed 68% of his passes in college football. Very impressive stuff. Like, in two years as the starter, as opposed to Wilson's probably two and a half, Fields has thrown 67 touchdowns as opposed to 56 for Zach Wilson, and this was a down year for Justin Fields. He has less interceptions than Fields. His completion percentage is higher. 
his yards per attempt or yards per completion is higher. Now, not by a lot, but it is higher. His career passer rating is higher. The number of passes attempted is lower, which you can go into the completion percentage thing of the passer rating, the yards per attempt thing with whatever. In my opinion, I'd take Justin Fields first. But the measurable thing with Zach Wilson with the arm, that's what's going to allow scouts to drool over a guy like Zach Wilson. Now with Deshaun Watson, his last year of Clemson, 41 touchdowns, 17 picks. The interception thing, as opposed to six for Trubisky, was a very big draw there. One of the draws there, Deshaun Watson was also coming off an injury. Trubisky was not. Deshaun Watson was carried by Clemson, apparently. Trubisky had no talent in North Carolina, so he took Mitchell Trubisky. Because I know Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback out of this draft class. I think everybody knows that. But I think most people looked at this as Deshaun Watson or Trubisky in this as the first quarterback taken. I would say most people. I I mean, I did. I shouldn't really say most people. Maybe some people didn't thought differently. But Deshaun Watson had two very successful years at Clemson and won a national championship. Played a little bit his first year at Clemson. Played hurt. Justin Fields came close to winning a national championship. Played very well against Clemson this year, obviously. He had one game where he threw three interceptions. His worst game as a college player was against Indiana, against Northwestern. He was hurt. You could see his hand. He still played His thumb on his throwing hand was injured, but Ohio State realized that and said, we're going to pound the rock with Trey Sermon, and they won the game. So I'm not going to hold a lot against that Northwestern game because he was hurt. Indiana, that was just a bad game. Again, everybody has a bad game. It was his worst game as a college player. Zach Wilson didn't have a bad game in college, at least this year. Balled out against UCF. So, I don't know. Is this another Trubisky-Watson thing? Is it? I don't really know. I think Zach Wilson is more talented than Trubisky was coming out. But Zach w- Z- Justin Fields has done more at Ohio State, much like Deshaun Watson at Clemson, playing for national championships, playing against the biggest schools in the nation. Zach Wilson did not have a bad game again, but it wasn't against, you know, Clemson or any teams like that, Alabama. It was against North Alabama. Coast Carolina, which was his worst game, which wasn't even that bad, didn't play like amazing, but he didn't play bad. And they almost won the game. They got stuffed at the one-yard line. We had a show where we talked about the game live. I watched it while we were doing the show. But would you take Wilson or Justin Fields first? As it's going to get talked about throughout this entire draft season, right now, On February 11th, I'm going to say I would take Justin Fields first. I like his toughness. I like how he's performed big on the big stage. But then Justin, Zach Wilson's got the arm. He had great numbers this year. I don't know. It's going to get talked about for a while. I'm not ready to put Trey Lance up near that top tier guy yet. Because of the fact he played one game and like Justin Fields had his worst game of his college career this season against Central Arkansas, but not a lot of people are talking about or carrying a lot of weight that he completed 15 passes on 30 attempts. We're not talking about that as much. We're talking about Justin Fields playing a bad against Northwestern with a bad thumb 
and then his one really bad game in college was against Indiana where he threw three interceptions. A little nitpicky here. But, hey, Justin Fields could be the worst quarterback of all time. Zach Wilson could be the greatest quarterback of all time or vice versa. But as I sit here right now, I would take Justin Fields over Zach Wilson. I think it's close if we're comparing them as prospects. So I think Zach Wilson does more of the like the tools thing of how strong his arm is and stuff like that and use that to his advantage. But man, it's gonna again, it's gonna get talked about. I don't think we have another Watson Trubisky thing. I like I think Zach Wilson's a better prospect than Mitch Trubisky coming out. But hey, if Zach Wilson doesn't pan out and Justin Fields balls out wherever he goes. In my last mock draft, I had him going to Carolina. Zach Wilson, the Jets. Then this will get talked about just as much. And Jets fans will be reminded, much like Bears fans are with Mahomes and Watson. Now, you only got one guy (laughs) that you're really getting compared to at this point. That's Justin Fields. But Trey Lance and Mac Mac Jones could turn out to be amazing quarterbacks as well. We could have an amazing first round of quarterbacks. Comparing that to the 2018 draft class with Baker, Lamar, and Josh Allen all balling out, making playoffs, winning games. All of them won playoff games this year. We could have a similar thing to that. Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Mac Jones, Kyle Trask. We got a good group of quarterbacks this year, and I'm excited. But yeah, make sure to watch Trevor Lawrence's throwing thing. It'll be very fun to watch. Again, don't take a lot out of it. You already know what you what you already know what Trevor Lawrence is going into this thing. So just don't take too much out of it. If he doesn't have a great game, don't go. He's undraftable. I'm taking Zach Wilson before him. Don't do that. We already know what he is. Just have fun. That's essentially what we're going to do watching this thing. I don't know what time it is, but just make sure. Follow it on social media. Search it up on social media. You should be able to find it at some point. Or if not, watch the highlights if there's that for a throwing on air situation. I don't know. But yeah. As again, I'll talk about this again. My top five quarterbacks in this draft are Lawrence, Fields, Wilson, Lance, Jones. That's my top five. I could, I would not be surprised if the order went Lawrence, Wilson, Fields, Wilson, or Lance, then Jones, or even be surprised that Trey Lance goes before Justin Fields, based on what I'm reading about in this draft period. But that's what I've got right now. But yeah, it's exciting. This thing's going to heat up. I looked up the combine start date today, March 8th through March 11th. We got a month till the combine's over. So it's going to be very exciting. I'm very, very excited for the combine. I'll watch it. Enjoy watching it. Jot down little notes and stuff. It'll be fun. Go up to UNI's Pro Day. If they have one, I don't know if they will. Watch Spencer Brown and Ellerson Smith ball out up there. See what other people go up to there. I know... Uh, last year, two years ago, Eli Dunn was there. Kramer, Drake's quarterback, was up there as well. Watched UNI's Pro Day then. Should be a fun Pro Day since we have two players that could actually get drafted on day one or two instead of having hoping someone gets drafted in the seventh round. But that's all I've got for you today. I do hope you enjoyed the show. And with that being said, I will see you all hopefully on Monday. I'm going to say hopefully because we didn't record a show last Monday. So... Who knows at this point? It's freaking cold. 
Stay warm. It's gonna be really cold on Sunday, so just stay. I would just recommend staying inside. I wouldn't bother going outside at all on Sunday. If you live here in the state of Iowa, it's gonna be freaking cold. So just be prepared for that. So that's all I've got for you. Stay warm this weekend. I will see you guys later. Peace.